0: There you can listen to or download educational programs related to all aspects of our divine faith, and you can review our schedule of upcoming events. We hope you can join us in person.
1: Our speaker this evening attained his Master's of Divinity and Master's of Arts degree in Moral Theology from Mount St. Mary's Seminary in 1989. Ordained to the priesthood in that same year, Monsignor Pope has served at several parishes in the Archdiocese of Washington and was named Amon Sr. in 2005 by Pope Benedict XVI. He served as pastor at Holy Comforter St. Cyprian Parish in Washington, D.C. since 2007. He also blogs regularly for the Archdiocese of Washington. Uh, for those who are in that catechism course, you know uh, almost the blog is like an encyclopedia. So <laughs> any subject you want, you type it in there and you'll see a couple of posts. Uh, but uh, a longtime friend. And very loyal to the institute. Please join me in welcoming back Monsignor Charles Burke. Well, Lord, we're um, mindful that um, we see so little. There's so many things behind the scenes, and so many things that are um, well for all of us. Uh, so many layers. Uh, it wasn't just uh, human beings that rejoiced, but it was the angels and they too rejoice at the birth of Christ. So help us, Lord, tonight to enter a bit into the joy of the angels and help us to, to um, join their praises, to, uh, our praises to theirs and, and to rejoice in you, the Word made flesh, Jesus our Lord, forever and ever. Amen. So our, our topic tonight is <clears throat> the angels, uh, the angelic choirs, and the nativity. The angelic choirs and the nativity. Now, we're all familiar with the Christmas story at some level, at some level but you know I want to say that there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes and remember we we, we're a church we've been thinking about stuff for like 2,000 years y'all all all right and so it's never just like oh like there were angels and there were like shepherds and it's all like really cool and it was a neat story and okay well now December 26th let's go to uh uh, trade in our, our our gifts for something we really want you know uh so there's a, there's, a, there's a richness and a depth and, uh, and so on that we want to look at. Uh, let me give you a quick outline of our talk tonight. You know how I love my alliteration, some of you anyway, right? We got some, I want to give some disclaimers about the angels. I want to make some distinctions. I want to talk about some distress among the angels. And I put that in quotes. They don't have passions like we do, but you get the idea. There's delight among the angels also in quotes, right? dialogue among the angels on Christmas Day or Christmas night, and also the dignity that we have in terms of the Incarnation and what it says about us, all right? So that would be a, a kind of an overall outline tonight. So in terms of just beginning with with some, if you will, distinction or disclaimers, I should say, about the angels, let's, let's begin there. First of all, our knowledge about the angels and their life is shadowy. We just have to admit that. You know, we call it, we, call it uh, we have demonology, and we have angelogy. Some people like to pronounce it angelology. But you know that's not really how we, 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 we always put the accent on the penult, right, of um, the syllables. So properly in English, the study of angels is called angelogy. But that logy or that ology is exaggerated a little. I mean, we know, but it's murky, and we know that we don't know a lot. And most of those who write on angelology and also, frankly, on demonology accept the fact that there are many deep mysteries about the lives of the angels. Um, there, you know, and all, likewise, sadly, the fallen angels, the demons, and so that there's a. Uh, we have to accept the fact that much of what we're dealing with here tonight, and and whenever we talk about the angels, we know certain basic things. First of all, they exist. Somebody say, "Amen." amen. Now, that is a doctrine of faith. All right. Anybody say, "Oh, that's just a fable." Well, I'm sorry. Sorry, we we know the scripture attests to us that angels exist in great numbers, and angels are powerful, and uh, they are pure. They are beings of pure spirit, and likewise. uh, But when we start to say, well, there are uh, nine choirs, and they are in three different groups, well, now we're beginning to get into what we call tradition, right? Which is not even here. What I would you know, it's it's a um, it's reliable tradition. But there could be more than nine choirs. And the angel could say, well, they think there's only like nine choirs. <laughs> they don't know the half of it. All right. I mean, but at the end of the day, for our own sake, we sort of group and we, we, we've done a lot of thinking and using Scripture, which at times is shadowy and murky. For example, you remember one time when Jake was wrestling with an angel. Maybe it was God himself. But God, he was wrestling and he, he finally said to the angel, tell me your name. And the angel said, why do you ask my name, which is mysterious? which is mysterious, you see. So again, we have to have a real reverence and a humility when we look to the lives of the angels that we know a little bit from Scripture, but just a little bit. And even what we know from Scripture is at times hard to understand. Now, let's also, though, be clear, as I say, that angels are awesome and even fearsome creatures of God. Now, anytime, if you look in the Bible, almost anytime somebody encounters an angel, they're afraid. The very first words out of every angel's mouth is, do not be afraid. <laughs> now, you see, this is important for us because we have sort of turned the angels into fluffy little creatures that are more like pets than they are angels, right? And um, we um, we need to get over that. That's that's wrong. Angels are awesome. They are to be revered and respected. I want to go forward a couple slides, and I'm going to come back to this one. But Angels are fearsome and encountering them can be disconcerting. Here's a few angels on Michelangelo's Last Judgment, blowing the trumpets. They don't look like fluffy,
0: uh, da I'm your little guardian angel and I've come to take care of you.
1: All right. So again, y'all be, be careful. We should, I, I, sentimentality has its place, but we have to be careful that we don't trivialize. Angels, again, are awesome. They are fearsome. They strike fear when they do appear. God permits them to reveal themselves. People fall to their faces. People are filled with dread and they have to be reassured by the angels. So, again, have a love for your angel, your guardian angel, and all the angels, but have also a reverence and a respect. Here's another slide I want to read to you from the book of Exodus. You see, here's one of the dangers in our time. Some people have even taken, and I get in trouble every time I say this, so please be merciful before you start slinging arrows and darts. Don't name your guardian angel. Don't do that. We name pets. We name people who are inferior to us. I I use that word in quotes, but in other words, parents can name children and so on. We, We name people who are beneath us or things that are beneath us. We do not name things that are above us. And the angels are above us. They are glorious, they are pure spirit, and they are put in charge over us. So here's a quote from God, and he's talking about the Exodus, but it's still an important thing for us. The quote from Exodus. Behold, says the Lord, I send my angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Provoke him not, for he will not pardon your transgressions. For my name is in him. But if thou shalt indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy unto your enemies and an adversary unto your adversaries, for my angel shall go before you. All right. Now, again, there's some heavy Old Testament language there, right? But I want you to see that the main stance you should have to your guardian angel is obedience. Right? Oh, guardian angel, go step and fetch for me and get this and do that and obtain this for me is a danger. Now, that's not to say that we should not ask our guardian angel. I'll give you a quick example. Every now and again, when I'm at odds with somebody and I don't feel like there's, we're at an impasse and I can't break through it, I just say, guardian angel, would you go to his or her guardian angel and just see if you, what you can work out? Open a door. Somehow manifest to that person that what I said, I said in love. I know they're angry with me. But please, guardian angel, talk to his or her guardian angel and see if you can open a door of love, see? The angels can do beautiful things like that. So we should ask our angels, and we should. but don't turn them into a servant. Really, no, they are the, our guardians, and we should listen to them. So I'm just trying to do this at the beginning of the talk because we tend to be very sentimental about the angels. Uh, angels are fearsome. Uh, they are creatures of God, though they are not omnipotent. And by the way, I say that also because there's a lot of people uh, that I deal with in deliverance ministry, and I'm going to tell you, they seem to have more faith in demons and their power than they do angels and God. They are more afraid of demons than they are of God. Now, I don't mean afraid in the cringing sense. Somewhere along the line, remember, every demon is a fallen angel, and they are not omnipotent. They can't necessarily, they're not omniscient. They cannot read your mind. They cannot tell the future. Their power is limited, they are creatures. And that's the same. The same is true with angels, although we say it with greater reverence because they are still above us. They have capacities and abilities and they can, for example, travel at the speed of thought. That's kind of nice, isn't it? You know, to travel at the speed of thought. One day our, when our resurrection bodies we will do that, too. All right. Now, they are omnipotent. They are pure spirits. That is to say, you can't technically see an angel any more than you could see a thought. Every now and again, God allows them to, in some way, manifest their presence to us, right? But angels don't literally have feathers and wings any more than God has a strong right arm that he bears to the nations. These are are allegories that speak to us of an aspect of the angel that we understand in bodily or physical ways, but really, at the end of the day, they're pure spirits. You can no more see uh, an angel than you can see a thought. However, you can see their effects so on. So generally, the angels are hidden. Now, I don't know, let's say there's several hundred people here tonight. There's at least several hundred angels with us, and I'm going to say a lot more because angels are everywhere, not just our guardian angels, but they're ministering in all of creation, as we will see. All right, so they're pure spirits. Uh, Neither are they effeminate servants who dote on us. I I think a lot of this goes back to the Renaissance, but also uh, modern art tends to depict them in very sort of feminine they're neither male nor female. They're pure spirit. Um, we, again, I don't have any problem with you imagining angels beautiful with wings, and, but just be careful that you don't trivialize them is my main goal, right? And we again, we're to obey our guardian angels and not treat them like our pets. All right. Um, now, those are just some initial thoughts that I want to do. Now, let's move forward um, into the next section. Of this talk, I want to make some now distinctions that that we uh, that we know occur occur to some degree among the angels. And why do we know it? Well, because Scripture uses different titles and different names for the uh, for the angels. Now, what we say we know from from what we do know that we distinguish nine choirs or ranks of angels. Now, remember, you hear the word choir, um, you think of of a group of singers. A choir here means more like a rank or a row, like think of an army, right? And it has rows or ranks, you see, and so on. That's really the more of the idea here of a choir. You know, a very interesting thing, and I'm not here to press the point, but you know, the, one, of the, one of the things we most attribute to the angels is almost, it's not said of them in the Bible. that They sing. We all, we, all, we all know angels sing, right? But you know, it's interesting that there's no text in the Bible except for maybe one that ever speaks of them singing. Even this, the angels singing, singing, glory to God in the highest, that's not, that's not what the text said. It says, and they said, glory to God in the highest. Oh, really? Oh, come on, really? Okay. So again, I'm, just gonna, I'm not trying to press the point, but isn't it interesting how, again, one of the things that we most attribute to the angels, namely that they sing, is never really said of them. There's one little text in Job that talks about the stars, the stars rejoicing and singing as God tumbled creation into existence. And so there's a sense that maybe the stars, there represent the angels and that they are, they are singing at that point. But that's about the only text you can find. All right. Now, that said, let's get back to our, there would be these, the hierarchy of the angels. They're, they're nine, but they're grouped in three. Now, I want to suggest to you that one of the reasons that they're grouped into three is, as a few of the fathers of the church note, that some of them, the, the highest three of them, the seraphim, the cherubim, and the thrones, have their roles, and uh, they are the supreme hierarchy, and they work in the third heavens. And then there we talk about the second heavens and the first heavens and the earth. Now, what are these heavens? Every now and again, I'll get a question. And I deal with it actually in this book, you know, the questions and answers on the faith. Father, it says that heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But how can heaven pass away, Father? And again, we're not talking about the third heavens where God dwells. The ancient Jews, like we do, often use the word heavens in different senses. And generally, we can distinguish three levels. The highest heavens, the third heavens, that's where God dwells. And St. Paul says he was caught up into the third heavens, right? So that's where God dwells. The second heavens is where the stars, and the, the, the planets, where the universe is, uh, what we call outer space. That's the second heavens. And the first heavens, well, that's where the birds fly. That's where the clouds and the rain are. So, uh, but again, you see, and then, so th- those are the first heavens, right? So again, in a way, to a certain degree, we can sort of see these choirs of angels, uh, the distinctions, as, as the first three ranks, the seraphim, the cherubim, and the thrones, minister in the third heavens, right there in the throne room with God himself. How do we know this? Well, scriptures. I, don't, I didn't line up all the scriptures. This is not really, of course, on angelogy. We're going to be looking. We've we got to bring this in for a focused landing here in a minute and talk about n- the nativity. But what I want you to see is the seraphim are called the burning. Literally, that in, the, in the Hebrew, that means the burning ones, right? The burning ones. They minister at the throne in heaven. We likewise see the cherubim. We, we read over and over in Scripture that they literally bear the throne of God. You remember, too, that in the Ark of the Covenant, it had two angels with wings overspreading. Those were two cherubim, right? Again, they literally bear the throne. They, are the, they hold up God's throne in heaven, right? Likewise, the thrones, that they, this, their names suggest, we don't know this from Scripture, but their names suggest that they minister at the throne there might be the acolytes if you want to use a liturgical principle here the acolytes of of the lord's great liturgy in heaven so the first heavens we see we see the seraphim the cherubim and the throne now the middle hierarchy would be the second heavens again the cosmos the stars the the planets the universes and so on we hardly think of this we think of the universe sadly almost as a machine but it's more than a machine it is a work of god It is a revelation of God that he indwells and that he cares for, that he maintains. And how does he maintain these things? Through the ministry of his angels. And so we see that the stars, the planets, all of the universe, these things are taken care of by this second middle or this middle hierarchy of these three ranks, namely the the dominations, the virtues, and the powers. Now, we know nothing really about them specifically in Scripture other than their names they're mentioned by Paul and others as being there, right? So again, that's why I put question marks after all these, right? You see, it would seem that just from their name, just using their name, right, that the domination, they rule the heavenly domain. Somehow they, they make sure the stars and the planets and whatever makes outer space what it is, they maintain all these things. The virtues, they maintain order, you know, they have a power, a strength, and they maintain the order of creation and the powers again administer the various powers of the cosmos but we're we're not sure of their exact roles right and then we come down to the lower the, the lowest hierarchy principalities a- archangels and angels now you think archangel big guy right but you notice they're really down towards the lower end of the hierarchy they're here on this earth and the principalities it, it would seem if we study angelology. that angels do not simply oversee, we don't just have guardian angels, every individual, but nations have angels. There's a tradition that every priest has not just a guardian angel, but an empowering angel. And maybe that's what we're referring to in the Eucharistic prayer. We say, we pray, Lord, that your angel may take this sacrifice to your altar in heaven. We Again, this is only a tradition. This is not a dogma. But maybe a priest has an, a certain empowering angel. Perhaps the Institute of Catholic Culture has some angels assigned to it, you know? Uh, All right, so what do you think there, Andy, huh? All right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But nations and and organizations and groups of people, angels are assigned to oversee. So we have some of these principalities that oversee groups or nations. Nations have angels assigned to them. Kings and those in power, priests, and likewise, again, organizations that are important and precious to God have certain angels to oversee now, the archangels would seem to oversee what we call the guardian angels, right? And we only know the names of three of them. There's other things from outside of Scripture, but we know of Michael and Raphael and Gabriel, right? So there, there are three names. There are some others that are mentioned to us, uh, Oriel and some others and other extra-biblical sources. But at the end of the day, we only know the name of three and them. That doesn't mean there are more than three. There, there could be millions of them. But there are archangels. And then they oversee the works of the lowest angel, the guardian angels who have care for the likes of us. God's little, God's snot-nosed children who, who tend to run, run into all kinds of trouble, all right? And we keep them busy, I'm going to tell y'all. And we're going to see that in a minute, all right? They get, they get a major headache in dealing with us and even some sadness. Now, I'm only telling you all this because I want to say, as we talk a little bit about some more distinctions uh, of these angels, that communication takes place among these angels from our understanding, hierarchically, not by way of broadcast. Now, what that means is that the highest angels send down word from God on high to the lower ranks of angels. And the lower ranks of angels send, send word up the chain. Uh, uh, you know, again, and our, they're, they're, the word angel, as you know, means messenger. And so this is a kind of a divine internet. It's the web but it, it, it's not broadcast. It is something which is, if you will, communicated hierarchically. Now, this offends our modern sensibilities. A it's that. Everything's equal. No. But again, in God's world, things are very hierarchical. Certain people and angels and so on have different roles, and the communication is handled vertically. Now, this will be important as we begin now to go to the second half of the talk here, where we want to start looking at the angels. And their uh, their role at the nativity because you're going to see some interesting subtleties in the text. Now consider a dialogue from the Psalms. It may be hard for you to see in the back, and I'm sorry, but it's Psalm 24. Now, if you have an older Bible like the Douay Rheims, it would be Psalm 23. All right, but Psalm 24. And consider this dialogue in the Psalms, and it's traditionally believed uh, to be uh, not well. Let's let's talk for, at two levels. First of all, historically. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? One might just see it as the Davidic royalty, the Davidic king. But at the end of the day, most of the the fathers of the church attribute this to an angelic dialogue or communication that's taking place. This is the angels talking. And the fathers of the church see it in two directions. First of all, as Jesus comes down from heaven, the higher ranks of angels communicate. The cherubim, the seraphim, the thrones, the highest ranks send word down through the middle ranks of the angels, and then finally down to the archangels, the angels, and the the principalities, and they're all here on earth, and they're receiving this word. Now, as Jesus begins to descend, not on December 25th, but on March 25th, yes, nine months earlier, the, the angels, according to, uh, for example, Gregory of Nyssa, I'll read a quote from him in a minute. As Jesus descends now into the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary, the angels, the highest angels, shout out, "Lift up your heads, O ye gates; be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of Glory may come in." But some of the angels say, "But who is this King of Glory?" The lower angels ask, "Who is this King of Glory?" The higher, angels, the higher angels answer, the Lord, the strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Oh, lift up your ge- your heads, oh, you ancient gates. Be lifted up, oh, ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Again, the angels ask, who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. So, the cherubim, the seraphim and thrones, as Christ descends into the womb of the Blessed Mother, communicate to the angels beneath them in that second hierarchy. And they cry out, make way for the king of glory. And the first rank cries out, who is this king of glory? The Lord, the mighty in battle. And then finally, as the Lord begins to get through that third, that third the, lowest, the lowest realm of the angels, the principalities, the archangels and the angels, they too ask the question, who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. So the the higher ranking angels communicating to the lower ranking angels as Jesus comes. Now, what's beautiful about this is it's also done in reverse. The fathers of the church say the same thing happened when Jesus, having risen from the dead, now ascends into heaven. And once again, the lower ranking angels now accompany him from heaven, from the earth. And they say, lift up your, ga- your heads, O ye ancient gates, O ye ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. And the middle ranking angels, who is this King of glory? The Lord, the conqueror, the mighty one. He, the Lord of hosts, he is the King of glory. Let him through. And, and he gets to the highest realms. And this always, almost, almost, always brings tears to my eyes. I think of Jesus entering into the great throne room of heaven, and the cherubim, the seraphim in the throne, they say, wait a minute, who is this? The middle-ranking angels cry out, lift up your heads, O ye ancient gates, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? He, the Lord, the mighty, the conqueror. He is the king of glory. Somebody say, bless the Lord. The beautiful thing is Christ enters in all of his glorious re- re- resurrected humanity and his divinity, and he enters in, and the angels accompany him, and they say to the other angels, make way. The king of glory is coming through. You see, So you see there is this communication that takes place among the angels. And I want to read to you a quote from Gregory of Nyssa, just so you kind of get an idea that, uh, you know, this is, this is an ancient understanding. Gregory of Nyssa develops Psalm 24 in his Sermon on the Ascension. It says here that as they escort the the angels, as they escort the Lord in his descent, surrounded the earth and and spoke to the angels of the earth to lift up their gates. I've already said all that to you. Thus the gatekeepers asked the angels, the higher angels, who is this king of glory? And they answer, he is the strong one, the mighty one in battle. He is to enter now into the world to make combat. Uh, who uh, against the one who made humanity captive, and to destroy him who held the power of death. So the higher-ranking angels explain to the lower-ranking angels, not just that Christ is entering, but his very purpose, at least as Gregory and Nyssa imagined it. Again, those higher-ranking angels say to the lower-ranking angels, he is the strong one, the mighty one in battle, and he is to enter into combat. He is mighty in battle, and you enter into combat with the one, namely the devil, who made humanity captive, and he will destroy him who has the power of death. By all ways, make make way, make way, all right? So we see that, and once again, and Gregory develops this then as the Lord ascends in glory. I won't repeat all that for you, but you understand these are not just my own thoughts. These are the, the great thoughts of, of Gregory of Nyssa and some of the other early church fathers who, again, meditated on these things. Now, let's step back and let's set some of the stage for the coming of Christ. And let's look first at the distress, the distress of the angels. Now, I put distress in quotes. You know, distress is a a human passion. Angels don't have passions like we do, but they certainly can observe and be grieved in a certain sense, not an emotional grief, but an intellectual grief that humanity is so prone to sin and locked in sin and seems to prefer the darkness and that we resist the care of the angels. So this is what we mean by distress. Now, with that in mind, let's, uh, let's go on and, and have a look at this. To understand the, the, the delight of the angels, we must first understand their distress. Because, you know, see, if you don't know the bad news, the good news is no news. <laughs> now, it, it, the angels are distressed. At the increase in evil and idolatry during the long reign of sin. Right? The prince of this world and his demons seem to have the upper hand, despite God sending both angels and prophets. And then, so let's let me read to you a quote from Eusebius, who's one of the early church fathers again, and he describes the distress, uh, the distress of the angels. By the way, I am using a book here by Jean Cardinal Danalu. If you want to spell that, just write the word Daniel. And they just put an OU at the end of it. Cardinal Donnellu, right? And um, it's called The Angels and Their Mission, According to the Fathers of the Church. You can see it's not a big, thick book. I recommend, though, that you have the copy. You should have a copy of this on your shelf. It is the go-to book. Okay? So, what we want to do now, I'm going to read to you a quote that he has here, uh, from uh, again, from Eusebius, one of the early church fathers. The fathers of the church present the ages in which preceded Christ as marking a dramatic increase in the power of demons in this world. Even in one part of the world in which God reserved for himself, namely the people of Israel, there was a rising tide of sin even among the Jewish people, and it continued to mount. The angels to whom the nations were entrusted, not just the Jewish nation but all the nations, were powerless, it would seem, to stem the flood of evil. St. John Chrysostom says, nothing was working well. <laughs> Eusebius further develops John's commenting on John the Chrysostom. Eusebius further develops this pessimistic view with greater preciseness. Eusebius writes, in such a flood of evil, since the angels who had first been set in charge of the nation could do nothing for their subjects and were only able to look after the rest of creation. Um, Because of man's free choice of evil, the angels were very discouraged. Eusebius says the angels were discouraged at their lack of success, not just among the Jewish people, but especially among the pagan people. He continues, Now, since such great evils had fallen upon the whole of the inhabited earth through wicked spirits, it was most fitting then that the word of God, the second person of the Trinity, the Savior of all, should at first send forth the feeble rays of his own bright light through his prophets. But even here, there was discouragement among the Jewish people. But since none who came after could bring such a remedy against these evils and the activity of demons continued to increase day after day, then the Savior himself decided to come to us as our physician and to help us and and to help the angels in their work of the salvation of men. And this is why, then, the angels in charge of the nation so welcome the coming of the Savior with great happiness. See, we hardly think of that. We just say, oh, there they are singing glory to God in the highest. They're, they're not just singing glory to God. They're saying, oh, thank you. <laughs> we, we, do you understand? You are hard to love. <laughs> now, I'm not hard to love. <laughs> and we're hard to work with. We are stubborn. We are stiff-necked. I'll tell you what, God described the human family this way. They have foreheads of brass and necks of iron. That's us. That's us he's talking about, y'all. And these poor angels are trying to, this way. Oh, I don't know this way. No, 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 this way. No, 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 no. Help, Lord. The angels, the angels cry help. So God said, well, okay, I'll send some prophets. Now, how many did we stone? How many did we murder? How many did we throw down wells and cisterns? And We only praise them after their death. After they died, we built their monument. Amen? (laughs) Finally, God says, all right, I'm coming. (laughs) I myself, I myself will come. And the angels, after all that distress, are now filled with delight. So now we want to look at the delight among the angels. Now, it says here, there's this beautiful, um, I would say, quote, from the scriptures, you know, there's, we, we're all familiar with the angels singing glory to God in the highest. But I'd also ask you to look at this, this other quote here. And I even have a little musical rendition. And again, the Lord brings his firstborn into the world. And what does he say? Let all the angels of God worship him. See? And it goes on to say, Peter said, all this work, the saving work of the Lord, the angels longed to look into these things, right? They were waiting. And remember, The highest angels had to communicate to the lowest angels who were doing this hard grunt work with us, trying to take care of the likes of us. Some of these things were kept hidden from the angels. God simply said to them, keep working, keep working. All right. Finally, the higher ranking angels shout to the lower ranking angels, lift up the gates and let him in. Who is he? The king of glory. He is the one who will come. and the angels, you see rejoice, and they worship him, and the angels longed to look into these things. They waited and hoped and prayed that God himself would come and save. So, I don't know, you got a little musical clip you can play for me there? Just, you know this from the Messiah, right? Anyway, you you know the the quote, that all the angels of God worship him. They're not just worshiping him, because that's what you're supposed to do. They're worshiping him with joy, with relief, with excitement, that finally God will bring the grace to break through the increasing power of demons and the increasing influence of the devil and begin this long work of sending the gospel to all the nations. Remember, this is not just the Jewish people that he's coming to save. He's now coming to all the angels who had care over all the nations. We're talking Sumerians and Babylonians, Canaanites. We're talking about all these ancient peoples. And they were like, oh. And now the Lord comes, sent to break open his grace and let his angels go to the four winds preaching the gospel. Church, that's the age we're in now. We're in the age of the church, where the gospel is going forth to the nation. At times, we feel discouraged. But I will tell you, the church is still growing. There are over a billion Catholics, and there should be more, but little by little, the church and the Lord is working this work, and the angels are rejoicing that the gospel has gone forth to every land, and everyone has been called, see, and there is a grace, a grace that is at work, even at times, if mysteriously, even if at times seemingly in defeat, I would just take you to Good Friday. That was not, from any earthly point of view, anything but a tragic defeat, and yet that was the moment when Satan bit down on the bait and the grace of God exploded his power. And just as Satan is running victory laps around the cross, the Lord goes down into shale and he turns the place out. All right. Well, I'm, I, I'm getting into too much soteriology here, but anyway. All right. Now, uh, I want to hear again just read a uh, page uh, from, from, from again Donnie Lou's work here. Just here, the mystery of Christmas of the Christmas angels, is primarily that of the angels of the nations surrounding the infant God who has come to the aid of the pagan peoples that were entrusted to them. But it is not merely that. It is not merely that. Um, It says here again that um, the angels that day were rejoicing. Now, with that in mind, I want to go to our next quote, which is a longer one, but you know it well. And there were shepherds residing in the fields nearby. Okay? It says that... um, Uh, keeping watch over their flocks by night. Just then, notice, an angel, an angel, one angel, right? Stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were
0: terrified.
1: (laughs) All right, we've already talked about that, all right? But the angel said to them, what, what almost every angel has to say, first of all, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you today good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the city of David, a Savior has been born to you, And he is Christ the Lord. Now, this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And and then, look at this now. And then suddenly, suddenly, there appeared with that angel a great multitude, notice, of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Now, you'll notice then, There is an angel from the lower ranks whose job it is to speak to us. He may be an archangel. It could be Gabriel. He's not named. He may just be some angel that's been assigned, the angel that the, one of the guardian angels of one of these shepherds, but he's a lower ranking angel. And he says to them, behold, I bring you glad tidings. We've heard now that since, you know, they've known since March 25th, right? And now he's born and the angel, the lower ranking angels come and he announces his birth to them. But then, suddenly, a huge multitude of the heavenly host. Now, the text itself is ambiguous here. But, again, the fathers of the church say this is, just, this is an important thing. Now, we're moving now into the dialogue of the angels on Christmas night. We already read this text. In reading this familiar text, many of us fail to distinguish the, 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 if you will, the levels of communication that are going on here, but some of the church fathers see this. What's happening? When that big choir of angels, those are the higher-ranking angels who have descended from heaven. Now, the fathers of the church teach that when Christ descended from heaven, it would be unbecoming for lower-ranking angels to serve him because he is God and Lord. He is served not by angels and archangels. They take care of us and the creation down here. God is served by the cherubim, the seraphim and the thrones. And it is said that as as Christ descended, those angels shouted out among themselves, if he is descending, we will go with him. So a certain number of those ranks descended with Christ. And those are the angels that take care of him. There are times where it's mentioned in the scripture that angels care for Jesus. For example, remember in the temptations in the desert? And after the third temptation, he resists and angels came and ministered to him. Not mere, pardon the expression, because they're above us. Mere, not mere archangels or angels, but cherubim, seraphim, and thrones. They minister to Christ. Or go to the garden where he's in agony. And it says, Father, take this cup, but if whatever you will, that is my will. And then angels came to minister or comfort him. Not a lowly archangel. Pardon me, pardon me putting that as in quotes, because they're above us. Amen? I say that with my head bowed. But I will say, I will say that there is the cherubim and the seraphim in the thrones that descended with Christ. Now, many of the fathers of the church say it is that choir that shouts the multitude of God's praises and sing glory to God in the highest. Now, let me read to you uh, a, couple of, uh, a couple of excerpts here from Cardinal Lu's book. All right? And I hope this isn't too esoteric. Are you already here with me? All right? Okay. All right. It says here origin has already shown us that when the angels saw the prince of the saw the lord of the host the name of the lord jesus going now down to the places of the earth they said among themselves if he is going to go and put on mortal flesh how can we remain here in heaven doing nothing <laughs> come angels let us descend from heaven with him And that is why there was a multitude of the heavenly host on that Christmas night, praising and glorifying God when Christ was born. Everything was filled with the heavenly angels, not the earthly angels, the heavenly angels, you see. Thus, Origen interprets Luke's text. There's an angel, he speaks to the shepherds. But then the whole heavens are filled. He says, thus Origen interprets Luke's text, not as referring to the angels of the nations, but rather to the heavenly host who have come down with Christ. And just one more quote, and we'll start to wrap up for tonight. So finally, again, he continues, the angels of the highest hierarchies came down with the word made flesh, Jesus, because they surround him with their perpetual adoration. They are his his messengers, not only among men, but also among the lower angels. And so their role, it says here, the cherubim, the seraphim and the thrones mysteriously initiate the second order of angels. We don't know because there's no, we don't know exactly what was said to them, Com- composed of dominations, virtues, and powers. And this order, in turn, revealed the mysteries to the principalities and to the archangels and to the angels. And it says again, so therefore, when the angels, the highest angels, are singing glory to God in the highest, they're not just informing men. They're informing the other angels and assuring them he is the one. And all the angels are God are rejoicing, but it's the highest angels that descend from heaven and sing glory to God in the highest. All right. Now we hardly think of that in our sentimental Christmas story, do we? But there's something powerful going on here. There are there's a dialogue, not just between angels and men, the shepherds, for example, but there's a dialogue among the angels, the highest-ranking angels assuring the lower-ranking angels, He is the one, and now all of us sing in this great chorus, glory to God in the highest. And we will minister to this Lord of glory as he makes his journey on this earth. But again, all the angels of God now can rejoice because the long reign of sin is about to end. Now you might say, Father, it's still pretty dismal in this world. But I'm going to tell you right now, grace makes a tremendous difference. makes a tremendous difference. There's a book, there's a line in the letter of the Hebrews. I'm not here to give you a course on soteriology, so I'll just let this one. It says that the father subjected all things under Christ's feet. Then he makes an aside. At present, it does not always seem that all things are under his feet, <laughs> but they are. <laughs> so that even in the difficulties and the tragedies and the trials and the setbacks, the good Fridays of human history, there is still a plan of God. To save all those who are designated to be saved, all those who will answer the, the Lord's call. There is a grace, and it is go- His word has gone forth to all the nations now, all the nations. Okay. So, what I want to do next is just show you that we've gone through all these things. We looked at a few disclaimers about the angels today. All right. I uh, tried to remember look, the angels are awesome. Even the quote, lowest ranking angels are awesome creatures. Obey your guardian angel. Respect your guardian angel. Do not treat your guardian angel poorly or like a pet or someone whose job is just to step and fetch for you. Listen to your angel. Obey his voice. His voice with God's voice is echoing in your conscience, telling you this is the way Walk in it, whether you would go to the right or to the left. We made some distinctions. We looked at the different ranks of angels, and I did that as a prelude so that you could begin to see that these dialogues or these, this communication is going on vertically among the angels on Christmas, not just as a nice little sideshow for human beings. There's actually something taking place in the heavenly hierarchies that the incarnation is not simply an event pertaining to human beings. It is pertaining to all the angels of heaven and a great joy because they were distressed at the sinfulness and the horror and the difficulties of, of this world, not just among the, even among the Jewish people, but even more so among the pagans. Yesterday we read from Psalm Oh gosh, I forgot. It was sixty-four, I think. That's so awful. Was it even among the Jewish people that they were sacrificing their children to Baal? And that's how bad it was among the Jews. These bloodthirsty, demonically inspired Canaanite religions, and so on. All of this darkness and the the, the just violence and confusion among the, the the angels were distressed. And so, in great in a great moment, God stirred the light among the angels. And he said, I myself will come and save my people. And the angels rejoiced. And they said, lift up your heads, you ancient gates. Oh, let the king of glory enter. And the angels above announced as 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 the Lord of all glory descends down from the heavens. And they rejoice. All the different ranks of angels are rejoicing, not just on March 25th, but as he's born. And now to be manifest, all the angels of God come and worship and praise him and rejoice on that Christmas night. All right. Now I just want to finish though with this idea because we've talked a lot about the angels today and I just want you also though not to forget your own dignity. We want to study, we want to learn about the angels, but we also want to know something about human dignity. I've said to all of you that we are beneath the angels. However, because of the incarnation we have a special dignity and even before the incarnation, we have a unique dignity that we human beings Unite two orders of creation, the material or the physical and the spiritual. We unite them in our person. There's a kind of a hypostatic union between the physical and the spiritual in us. Now, animals are just physical, they don't have a, a, a rational soul. And angels, who have a rational soul, but they have no, nothing physical about them. It is our dignity to unite in our person. The two orders of creation, this is part of human dignity. This is our distinction. We have a rational soul, and we participate in the material world. Angels are pure they 're persons, but they 't they have no body I, they're all singing i ain 't God, nobody all right and um, um, they, they are pure spirit, glorious that they are and 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 we uh, not only our our spirit have a rational soul. But we also have bodies. Finally, though, this thought that on Christmas there's something unique and beautiful and wonderful about our experience as the human person that night. We've been talking about the angels, but I just want to leave with this idea. Uh, you remember the song uh, Good Christian Men Rejoice? Oh, now you've got to say Good Christian Friends Rejoice, you know. So we've all become Quakers. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but anyway, uh, but the, the Latin version of that is Indulce dulce jubilio, and, and one of the verses in Indulce is, Alpha et O, matris in gremio, Alpha and Omega is sitting in mommy's lap. Now, that brings the incarnation to reality, doesn't it? And then there's the beautiful hymn, Ere the Bleak Midwinter, it was written by, um, by, by Christina Rossetti, Ere the bleak midwinter. Da, 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 da. Anyway, one of the verses says, Angels and archangels may have gathered there, cherubim and seraphim throng the air, but only his mother and her maiden bliss could worship the beloved with a kiss. You see the beauty and the dignity of the. We can embrace, we can hug, we can cherish our God, and we can receive him in holy communion, and he can touch us, and we can touch him. There's something glorious and beautiful. So although we've meditated tonight on the angels, and while we should, and we're going to continue the the role of the angels in in the resurrection and in the ascension, we'll look at some other aspects of this on on an online version that Andy's already announced. But tonight as we meditated, we looked at the angels as well. We should. That's our topic. But I don't want you to simply forget that there is something they are adoring. They are adoring the Word made flesh. And that is his love for us, and that is our dignity, and that is the great and beautiful dignity that he's taken us up now so that in Christ, one day, even now, we are seated at the right hand of the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we'll end at that, but again, just again, this idea. Only his mother and her maiden bliss could worship the beloved with a kiss. No angel could ever do that. Mary could. And you and I, in Holy Communion also, can, if you will, have that physical as well as spiritual intimacy with the Lord. All right. Thank you very much, Monsignor, uh, for a wonderful presentation. Another round of applause, please.
0: (laughs) We hope you enjoyed this presentation from the Institute of Catholic Culture.